1: and fans welcome to the Parastyle podcast on a Tuesday we got to talk some USC football with Keely your follow on Twitter at Keely is my name we got the camp started man we got football camp training camp is going on they're preparing for a fall 2020 season something we never thought we would see we're gonna talk about that we've got to talk to different players and coaches over zoom it's a little bit different we're not watching practice so we'll give you everything we've learned from watching the videos checked out the photos and talking to the players and coaches. If you have any questions or comments, you can always email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424-254-9141. We do appreciate any uh, of your, you guys Apple users go out there to the Apple podcasting app, a five-star rating, any positive reviews that really does help grow the show. If you have a question for us, we'll put you right to the top of the show. Put the podcast, put the question for the podcast on your review, and we will answer it right at the top of the show with Keely Yor, who's joining me right now. Keely, how are you doing?
2: Hello, hello, Ryan. We did it. We officially made it through the off-season. We're covering practice now, practice in air quotes, though, but we made it, Ryan. We did it.
1: <laughs> we're here. Practice. Yeah, air quotes, practice, different kind of uh, practice that we're covering. We'll talk about that in, uh, in a little bit, but the main point of today's show is we're going to do start our previews for the season And it will be an offensive preview Uh, so we'll preview every guy on the offensive side of the ball, the different position groups, a lot of continuity, obviously with the offensive coaches, but we'll go into, you know, previewing the guys that have come back, people that have left the program, what we think of each unit and uh, stuff like that. Before we do all that, I do want to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's. They've been great to us uh, over the years. And we'd like to uh, talk about some different products that they put out there. I love to go to traderjoes.com. Uh, when I do my weekly shopping trip over there and this one caught my eye, Keely, just now, unfortunately I talk about sweets a lot cause I'm kind of a sweet tooth guy, but it has dark chocolate and salt salted caramel. So it's the dark chocolate salted caramel bar thin. They just put it up a, a few days ago and man, it's a, a brand new item. Looks really good. Uh, it's very thin, but they got the caramel in the middle and the dark chocolate. So. I'm pretty sure you, you can even eat this one. That's probably a gluten-free product, Keely, but I, I, this one Exciting. looks really good. I have to go to Trader Joe's after the show and go pick one up.
2: Oh, very nice. It also sounds like a tongue twister, Ryan. I yes. don't think you can say it five times fast. So.
1: No, it's a dark chocolate salted caramel bar thin, but uh, yeah. Well it's, I would scan through, and you know, there's some, there's some good savory things, and you know, but the sweet things always catch my eye, and that one definitely... <laughs> Uh, I I like how you said
2: you're kind of a sweet tooth when every single ad is some type of dessert. So nice try, Ryan. You are a big sweet tooth. (laughs) I'm a big sweet tooth guy. Yeah. But uh,
1: what are you going to do? Okay. So we're going to do an offensive preview. We're going to give you kind of a brief overview of what we're doing each morning. Um, It's they're doing afternoon practices, but we're getting morning uh, media sessions with coaches and players. So we'll kind of give you a, preview, I mean, kind of a a overview of what we've been doing there and what's going to be coming in the future and what we're putting up on uscfootball.com. But we do have to address, uh, you know, we've normally, Keely and I would call this the Dan pod. Uh, It was a lot of times it was Dan Weber and myself. And then, you know, we had Keely brought in and she was kind of, you know, trying to bring some normality to the chaos that Dan and I would provide sometimes. So, and Keely's done a great job of that. And people were asking about where Dan has been. And, uh, you know, I wanted to let him say in his own words what was going on. He posted on the Peristyle on Friday. If you're a USCfootball.com subscriber, you can check it out. I also mentioned it on the Harvey Hyde podcast that we put up uh, on Monday of this week. Uh, but Dan uh, and his family, they've moved to northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati area where he's originally from. There were some family health issues that were going on. And he really felt like 2020 was going to be his last year. Covering the Trojans, it would have been his 20th year. And with all the chaos that was sort of going on, um, he, he bumped up the timeline a little bit and decided that w- they were going to move back. It had been best for the family and just kind of move on. He didn't know at the time that there was actually going to be a fall season, even though it's going to be a shortened one. And, uh, you know, fully support Dan. He's been such a great uh, help and mentor over the years for all of us here at USCfootball.com. He's a pro. He's, you know, he's done everything from being an SID to a coach. Uh, to working in the media, covering all kinds of you know events that we never even heard of that he's covered, and he's done so many amazing things, and has been very helpful uh, for me, growing someone that didn't go to journalism school. I was an engineer, and and has learned journalism, uh, you know, on the way. I think he's been someone that's helped influence me uh, over the time of, you know, of of my doing this back, you know, from the the mid 90s. Uh, but we're gonna miss Dan a lot, and uh, you know, people have asked, can he? You know, contribute and could he come back on the show and all that stuff? I I think that's something that we can look at. We've talked about it. Him being still a guest columnist, it doesn't seem like the timing is right right now. I think he needs a little bit of my. This is my feeling. He hasn't said this specifically, but my gut feeling is he kind of just needs a little time away. But I think Dan will still be involved. You know, down the road we'll get some of his opinions on things and stuff like that. I don't don't think it's the last we've heard of Dan, but as far as being a regular contributor, he's going to go on and coach, you know, write, write some books, uh, coach writing, uh, at the, at the high school there near where he's living in, in Northern Kentucky. So, but we just want to wish Dan the best. And, uh, it's hard to say just cause he's been such a part of the site. He's been a, you know part of my life. I've had him over for him and his wife, Diane over for Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's just tough, uh, seeing Dan, uh, move on, but, you know, we love him and we, uh, you know, we wish him the best and hopefully everyone's healthy and happy uh, in their new location.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is something that I haven't really processed yet, if I'm being completely honest. You know, it's just he has been so a part of just my uscfootball.com experience, but also just my experience in the, like, professional world. Graduated from USC and started working with Dan full-time, doing instant and everything like that. And now, you know, it it is hard because – I, you know, if this were to happen, I would have wanted to do, like, a proper incident analysis farewell or a proper podcast farewell, you know, and just with the pandemic and how everything happened, it just didn't – it wasn't what Dan, you know, deserved, but, you know, things happen the way they do, but, you know – Dan has always felt like a pseudo family member to me, you know, for everything we've done. And, and it's just, <laughs> I really don't have word, you know, he's just helped me so much. And just, uh, we always had such funny chemistry and, and it was just such a great time covering football with him. And, and he would see things a certain way. I would see, see things a certain way and we kind of hash it out before instant and think about it and talk about things. And, you know, it's just, it's great learning from someone with, as much knowledge and experience as Dan. And and it's something that I don't want to come to terms with. Thinking that one day we're going to be at the Coliseum and Dan's just going to show up to do it instant, you know? But uh, it, I think I'll get more closure as time comes on. But, you know, Ryan, it's just crazy. It's just another thing of 2020 that you have to kind of just... Uh, continue on and and keep doing you know i don't know it's just i i'm not very i don't have the words right now just because i haven't really fully processed and i don't think i'm letting myself process
1: it's it's it obviously it's difficult if you look at the uh the the thread on the peristyle uh dan posted on friday i think it's up to 12 or 13 pages right now of replies of all positive replies and um i've tried to go through and like each and every one of them because it's i wanted to read them all because it's it's there's so many people that dan Touched. I mean, just you guys going down to the courtroom, uh, the Todd McNair trial, so many people just enjoyed that. And the instant analysis stuff, his ghost notes. Um, it, there's just so many things that, you know, that the columns he would write, you know, very opinionated about what was going on. And, uh, it's, he was just a, such a big part of the site. And I remember when we brought him in, um, you know, he was working for the Riverside paper and then they, you know, they had papers all consolidated and they didn't have as many reporters. And, uh, I, he was someone that I would, I would have loved to have hired. And when I eventually did, we had talked about, I forgot he had a stint somewhere else, I think, or something. And, um, we, we both talked about it and he was like, oh, I really would have liked to work for you then. And I was like, oh, I didn't think you would have. And, um, he totally did. And he, he said some, I mean, some amazing things about all of us, which was great. Uh, if you guys want to go read the thread and, uh, we can't say enough nice things about Dan. So yeah, it's, the Dan Pod is, you know, maybe it'll still be the Dan Pod. It's just, you know, no Dan on it now. And but I wouldn't uh count out him not doing something down the road. Uh, if you want a proper goodbye, Keeley, or a proper instant, you know, last instant. I think uh I think he'd be willing to to do that. But I know it's you know, just reading his post is very emotional about it for him too. You know, it's not easy for him to uh walk away for something like that. But I think they're you know that He's got to he's got to follow his path. And I think he's going to do that uh, closer to home, closer to family. And, um, you know, I think him and his wife are going to be really happy there.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And just like I, you know, I've always been so close to him. And this was the family health issue that he had been dealing with. He's been dealing with it for a couple of years now. And so it just got to a point where I'm I'm glad that he's able to take care of what's important. Um, And obviously we wish him the best going forward, you
1: know. We certainly do. And, uh, but you know, and for everyone that asked, I mean, I, I mean, I, to be honest, like, I didn't know this was going to be, you know, Dan's last season, but when, you know, things started to come to a head and we talked and, um, you know, Dan kind of talked to me about it. It made sense, you know, but I didn't really know either. And then people were asking and, but I wanted Dan to be able to say, you know, what he was doing in his own words. So I'm glad he was able to do that. And, uh, you can check that out too, but you know, either of these podcasts you can listen to and kind of get the gist of uh, what's going on, but we'll miss Dan. And, uh, you know, I've just said, like I said, wish him the best. And I know they're going to do great things back there and he'll, he'll certainly be following, uh, what we're doing. And you can still see him on Twitter and stuff. He's, he's still tweeting some things. He'll still tweet about the pac 12 and <laughs> take some shots at Larry Scott. You can like that kind of stuff. So,
2: yeah, it's still the same Dan.
1: <laughs> yeah, Dan's not changing. Cause <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, that's Dan. exactly.
1: Um, well, I wanted to, uh, I guess shifting gears a little bit Mm -hmm. when we talked about like ghost notes, we talked about instant analysis. Um, it would have, it was going to be different without Dan if it was a regular season. Well, it's significantly different because it's not a regular season.
2: Yeah.
1: So we have to do this where the team is practicing in the afternoon. We are getting some media availability in the mornings. And then there's a portal that USC will put up some photos some video from the practices, not really a schedule. It just sort of like happens. Um, and so what are we doing for uscfootball.com? Uh, Keely and shotgun and, and Chris Javine have been doing a great job getting, uh, content up there from what's going on. Shotgun sort of took over the ghost notes, um, responsibilities for now. I think people can contribute, but it's mostly been, you know, shotgun and, and Keely and shotgun have been doing a really good job with instant analysis over zoom, and, uh, and putting those up there. I highly recommend you read the notes, you uh, watch the the video. There's some really good stuff in there. And then stories going up from Chris and, and from all of us uh, of what's going on, um, you know, who we talked to that morning, you know, Chalk going to put up uh, galleries of photos. So a lot of, uh, it's a little different content than what we've been used to. And at least for now, that's kind of going to be the new normal, I guess, Keely.
2: Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. It's a little odd. <laughs> it's We've had three media availabilities, and USCE has had five practices. And so usually we're getting, you know, updates right after practice happens. You kind of get the, a better feel for uh, how they felt practice went. But we're kind of getting it a day after because we're, we're going in the mornings now, bright and early, 8 a.m., 7.30 a.m. Um, and so it, it's different. It's a new thing that we're trying to figure out. It's nice being able to at least get some more info, you know, today we talked to Graham Harrell, Elijah Ver Tucker, Brett Nealon. So there were new faces to talk to, but we're still trying to work through it. You know, it's usually we would get Graham Harrell in one scrum and then move on to the players, but now it's all three of them at once. You got to like choose your questions wisely, but um, it's, it's nice to have some access, but hopefully going forward, USC says that they're, they're trying to figure out a way to let media on campus and to see things, you know, I think it would be nice you know, they could get practice at the Coliseum and we could also go to the Coliseum and watch as well, you know, spread out. So hopefully we can get some progress on that from. But yeah, it definitely looks different in 2020. A lot of zoom pressers and and trying to, you know, you mentioned the photos and the video, Ryan. I'm shotgun Chris and I like put on our detective hats and tried to look at every single angle, every little blur. Okay, what is this person doing? What can we take? Is that an injury there? And like I actually found out some injuries just by watching the videos over and over again. So uh it's interesting to trying to cover this team in 2020.
1: And part of the, the issue is, and, and Clay Helton talked about this, I think on the media availability on Monday, it's not like the whole team is on the same practice field either. He mentioned four different practice fields, which seems a little difficult to do. But, you know, in groups of 75, it's not just players, but there's any support staff that's out there, coaches, things like that. Um, you know, how would something like that work? But they could have like a pretty big group over at the Coliseum, I would think. And be able to have the cohorts of 75 or less and have some sort of scrimmage that, you know, media could attend. I think something like that would be uh, really cool. But, yeah, there's there's logistical issues for the coaches as well. We just got word today that Stanford's allowed to to practice on campus now. So they're just getting started. Um, But, you know, for any of the California schools, you have to figure out a way to only have groups of 75 where normally you would have more than that for your practice.
2: Yeah, so I Clay said that he's probably gonna lose like ten pounds going from field to field, and I tried to figure out like how how are they doing this? Because you could probably do Dato, Howard Jones, and Cromwell. Are they counting the other field as a field? I don't know, but it, it's they're still jumping through logistical hoops trying to get everything going in a pandemic. If you see the photos uh, on the site, you can see that all the coaches are wearing masks and gloves, and it's just it's a different look for for everyone involved.
1: Yeah. It's definitely a different look and uh, we're getting adjusted to it. So hopefully you guys are enjoying uh, the content of what's been going up and uh, we, you know, we're, we're putting everything we can uh, into this. It's definitely different, um, you know, it's different without Dan, it's different without being able to be there. Uh, it's, different. it's just a lot of different for 2020, but we do have football coming up. Um, and so we're excited about that. And we want to preview the main part of the show today we wanted to give a preview of uh, the USC offense. And certainly, you know, with with Graham Harrell coming back, uh, such a successful offensive system last year, um, you know, we wanted to kind of go into depth on some of the different position groups and some of the different storylines uh, we're looking at for, for 2020. But, you know, the schedule is a lot easier. So many dudes returning. Elijah Vera Tucker comes back. You got Keaton Slovis. You got a bunch of, you know, wide receivers. And it just seems like, Keely, this is set up to be a really special year for the USC offense.
2: Yeah, it definitely looks like it, but I'm still cautious you know this is this would be where I would say let's see a couple more practices and then I can put some input but I you know obviously I'm not seeing practice but year two that's something that Graham Harrell and John David Baker who came with uh, Harrell from uh, North Texas they always said the year two is where you make the jump and we kind of asked Keen Slovis about it too and he said you know I'm already feeling like I'm more comfortable in the system the wide receivers are getting better chemistry so that's what I'm curious about what does this offense look like in year two because because if you remember the second half of the season, Keaton was putting up tons of passing yards. Now, granted, USC had running back injury, so they really had to sell out for the air raid. But, you know, it's from everything we heard, this should be good. It's just USC's offensive line. That's still a big question mark. And that's something that if we were at practice, I would be watching like a hawk because I really feel like USC's offensive success is on that position group.
1: I know Graham Harrell seemed pretty excited about the offensive line. We heard, talked to him this morning. I mean, he was pretty like, they're great. yeah, you know, they're awesome, you know, and especially with Elijah Vera Tucker coming back. So I think I think he's just really happy that ABT is back.
2: Oh, huge. I mean, that's the thing. He was kind of the linchpin. You know, he was the guy who had the most experience, arguably the most talented offensive lineman. And now you have a guy that you can potentially plug in that important left tackle position. So. If you didn't have him back, now you're really scraping the barrel for, okay, who can we put at that left tackle position? Do we now use Justin Dietz as a guard? Do we kick out Liam Simmons to the left tackle? There would be a lot of, much, much more question marks rather than you have AVT. You're not replacing three guys on the offensive line. You're only replacing two.
1: Yeah. Well, um, let's get into it. You want to do, you want to just go through like the different position groups first? Sure. Let's do it. So I guess, well, I want you to start with the offensive line since that's where, uh, the concerns are. Um, Keely put together a wonderful chart. Do you want to, do you want to go through the line items? You want me to go through or How would you like to do this?
2: I'll, I can go through the line items. So first okay. off. With departures, obviously Austin Jackson left for the NFL, uh, Drew Richmond also graduated, and then you had Jacob Daniel graduate and Clayton Bradley enter the transfer portal, so those are bodies that are gone, but USC did add a big class of incoming freshmen, you have Jonah Monheim, Cortland Ford, Caden Steffen, Casey Collier, Andre DeWork and Andrew Millick. Uh, So those are the six incoming freshmen. And then just running through the rest of the depth chart, you have Jalen McKenzie, Elijah Vera Tucker, obviously, Jason Rodriguez. Frank Martin, though, is an opt-out, as, uh, as well as Bernard Shermer. So uh, that tackle reserve, you don't have as many guys there. And then as far as guards or guard candidates, you have Andrew Voorhees, Leon Jimmins, uh, Justin Dietrich, and then, of course, Elijah Vera Tucker, if you want to keep him there at that guard position. And you also have Liam Douglas. And then at the center position, you have Brett Nealon, Justin you Gino Quinones, And then something we picked up in the practice videos, we saw Liam Douglas and Andrew Millick uh, both getting practice, snapping the ball. So they could be potential backup centers uh, for USC as well.
1: Yeah, and I think there's... I mean, they talked about, you know, uh, being able to play multiple positions, especially because you might have guys, you know, out for COVID reasons and all these other things. So depth can become an issue that way. You want to cross-train people, but some of those guys, you know, they've listed like, uh, you know, the, the Liam guys like Liam Douglas or Liam Jimmins could potentially be, uh, offensive tackles as well. Um, I'm curious to see, how, well, we can't really watch, but how they move some of the guys around where they're actually training or double training. And, um, the main point is you got to get the top five out there at some point and they need to find who the best five guys are. It doesn't matter if some guy's the third best guard, if he's the fifth best, uh, player on the line, he's going to play somewhere. And I think that's just, I mean, it's just the way you have to do it, but there will be, there's going to be guys playing multiple positions and it's, you know, uh, they talked about it today. Graham Harrell talked about today. A lot of it's about the chemistry who plays well with the other guys, you know, and it, you might be, you might be like maybe you're the fifth best player, but you're not playing well with the other guys and the sixth best player does that chemistry could put someone over the top too. So there's a lot of factors kind of going into this and a lot of guys that could be, you know, moved around. I don't, I just don't know Keely, if they're going to be a rely on any of the incoming freshmen. I, I just think what's the short season, they're probably going to rely on the veterans and it, you know, you're missing opportunities for guys like Frank Martin and, and Shermer that aren't going to be there.
2: Yeah, see, that's something you would think. I definitely thought that until we heard from both Clay Helton and Graham Harrell, who mentioned that they might have to use freshmen this season. So it's one thing you think logically, okay, you're not going to rely on your incoming freshmen, but then you hear the coaches say that. And Clay Helton did say that Jonah Monheim and uh courtland ford are standing out so far uh jonah monheim was a guy who i saw a couple times while he was in high school and he was just a bully you know he was just pushing kids down and obviously when you're you're a a four-star prospect d1 prospect you have a easier time in high school but he was someone who looked like he was better developed coming into uh college and then courtland ford he was the one who everyone had circled on that uh commits list that he was the guy that might be able to get the earliest playing time so the fact that Clay Hilton spotlighted them in one of his press conferences I think is notable um, but when just analyzing the footage the practice footage and and kind of what we know it looked like there's two really different iterations of the the first team offensive line and right now I think it looks like uh, left tackle Elijah Tucker left guard either Andrew Voorhees or Justin Didich uh, center Brett Nilon, right guard Liam Jimmins and right tackle Jalen McKenzie and that's interesting just because it looks like Dedich is still getting uh, looks at that guard position. And then Voorhees, you kind of expected him to go back to right guard, but it looked like in the practice footage he was at left guard. So just little things to watch out for. Of course, we expected Jalen McKenzie to kick out to right tackle again after playing right guard last season. So just little iterations. And then I'm wondering if, you know, like you said, Ryan, will the freshmen get in? Is that just coach speak or do they actually mean it this time around, you know?
1: I think it's coach speak.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I guess so.
1: It's a, you know, it's not a great recruiting class. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's definitely some big bodies. I think uh, Brett Nealon talked about some of the size that these guys bring in. But to me, just looking at them, you know, who knows? But there, it seemed like some more projects that were going to take a little while to integrate into the system. I I would be shocked if any of those guys are uh, contributing at all. Uh, on the offensive line this year, but I mean, who knows? I mean, anyone can play. It doesn't matter because like the, the red shirts and stuff doesn't matter. But to me, that's a little bit coach speak, Keely, I would guess. I, I'm thinking you're going veterans the whole way and uh, we'll see. We'll see where they end up.
2: That's true. It's, it's, it's week one, Ryan. I'm, I'm not desensitized to coach speak yet. I'm a little rusty. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe ne- next week I'll, I'll disregard all the coach speak. I'm, I'm a little gullible in, in week one. <laughs> no, I mean,
1: you could be right. They could, I mean, who knows? Like we we're not watching that. Yeah. You know, Corlin Ford could be an absolute stud that we just didn't like, oh, he developed a lot since uh, we last saw him in high school. But uh, my, my gut feeling is you got a short season. You got, you know, very limited time to get everyone ready. It's not like they had, uh, you know, those guys weren't early enrollees anyway, but there wasn't any spring football. It, to me, this is going to be a harder year for incoming freshmen to contribute on the offensive line especially. So I I just, I just don't – I don't see that happening, but who knows? I've been wrong a million times before.
2: The interesting wrinkle, though, is that uh... – when we mentioned the whole four fields thing, they're two spotting. So a lot of guys across all positions are getting probably more reps than they would normally in practice, just because they're in their own area doing reps instead of waiting for the guy in front of them to do a rep. And then they do a rep, you know, because they have to spread out so much and have that distance. So maybe, maybe, we could see some more development just because of the way that the unique way they have to practice this season. Who knows? And I know Clay Helton has said many times that uh, you want to have guys ready because between injuries and, and a positive COVID test, you might need to field some guys who you normally wouldn't. So we shall see in that sense.
1: Yeah. You want to well, move on to the running backs?
2: Sure. Running backs is pretty straightforward. There are there were no departures after 2019, and there were no additions. So if you're looking at the depth chart, it's Stephen Carr, Vavai Malapei, Marquis step Keenan Christen, and then the, I think he was a walk-on, now scholarship player, Quincy Gentry.
1: Quincy Gentry. Yeah. So he was, what, he was given a scholarship, right? Like yeah. he was a walk-on, granted so. a scholarship. But those are usually on one-year deals.
2: I think he got injured. I, shotgun's on the Quincy Gen TV. That's all I know. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the girl to ask for that one.
1: We'll see what happens there. But it's not um, – this would have been a good class to bring in a running back, I would say, right, um, especially what happened yes. last year. Exactly. So this is one of those – you look at the offensive line, you're like, yeah, there's no, like, five-star tackle that came in to, like, at least push anybody for one of those tackle spots that opened up. There's also no like five-star running back. And to, to help, you know, uh, a banged up Vivai Malapai, who didn't practice uh, in the early part of of the camp because he had a hamstring injury. You've come from the knee injury, you know, Stephen Carr who's been banged up Marquis step who's had the, you know, issues and there's, there's a lot of potential for injuries and missing time and missing practice time. It would have been good to have, you know, under the additions, none should be at least one, I would think. And that didn't happen.
2: Of course, of course. Especially because, like you just mentioned, Ryan, the the running back health situation is eerily similar to 2019 right now. And that's concerning just given that we're now nine months later. You know, it's it's a delayed season and you're still seeing a guy like Marquis Step being limited at practice you know we asked clay helton about it and he said that step is still limited he did make more progress than they thought between uh friday's practice to saturday's practice and they increased his his workload but then you have vi malapai who uh, has a hamstring injury you have to wonder maybe is that connected to the knee where guys try and strain different muscles uh, to protect the knee you know what i mean so i don't know it's and and Stephen carr in the practice video i know i keep referencing it but it's really all i have to go off of he didn't look like he was doing full speed it looked like a lot of Keenan kristen in the video and of course it's video so they might have edited it a certain way but the fact that you're not seeing all four scholarship guys 100% at the start of this training camp i think has to be concerning given how given how much just the injuries lingered in 2019 and how much usc had to adjust their entire offensive scheme to just the lack of depth and the lack of health at that running back position
1: yeah and uh we'll get to the wide receivers in a bit but you know not there's some depth you know, issues there as well, uh, potentially. So are you going to be able to bring over an Amon Ross St. Brown and be an emergency running back like it was last year? If you have to, I don't know. I mean, you'd like to see a little bit bigger of a running back room than, uh, than what USC has right now. So there's definitely yeah. some concerns there, but talented guys, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course.
1: I mean, the fact that Kristen got to play as much as he did as a, as a true freshman when they really wanted to redshirt him. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great opportunity for him. So, um, and these are different a lot of these are they're different guys than what uh this you know what you'd see in this offense typically, right? Like you, you know, you don't see guys like Marquis Step. So it's been an adjustment, I think, for the coaches as well, uh, trying to figure out what they need to do. And you know, what what's really the role here? Clay Helton talked about he wanted to play the 20 personnel sometimes where you would have no tight ends and two running backs and and three wide receivers. I think it's gonna be tough to do, Keeley, <laughs> because I mean, you might only have a couple of healthy guys at one time.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you would do you would do that, and that was something that was featured a lot in fall camp when we were able to watch all of practice. We'd see two back sets with with you know either Stephen Carr and Vavai, but would you really want to (laughs) put your multiple guys out there when you're trying to make it through the season? I don't know if you can, and that's the thing. These this is a talented group, no doubt, but can they stay healthy? That's the big question, and. I don't think they have a track record going back to last season that they can. So you, I think you have to make the smartest decision to keep your backs healthy.
1: Yeah. Running backs are going to get banged up. I mean, the fact is funny. I mentioned um, on the Harvey Hyde podcast about Vavai Cause I had asked Clay Helton about him. Cause you guys pointed out in the video, I think he came in like in street clothes and uh, Brandon Peely as well. Wasn't, yeah. And I had asked, you know, Clay Helton about that. And, Um, you know, Brandon had more of a, like a stomach issue. It wasn't as big of a deal, but Vavai had this, uh, he said his knee was fine, but he had this hamstring issue and, and coach was like, just going off. It's like, you're just starting camp and all these guys are missing practice already. He's like, this, this this can't be right. Like something's gotta be wrong here. So he was not very happy about that, but it just seems like that's the way the running back group is. There's always going to be at least one or two of them that are banged up a little bit.
2: Well, I actually think that, I, I mean, coach is right. Harvey Hyde, like, This is something where, once again, we're looking at prolonged injuries, injuries that probably should have been healed by now. You know, Marquis Stepp had surgery on that ankle um, like three days after he initially hurt it against Arizona in the middle of. I mean, we're at a year right now, a year since he had that surgery. And why is he still lingering? I mean, Jordan Iasefa is now undergoing the third surgery on his knee in over a year. I know that's a defensive guy, but. And then you go, you go to Port Augustine, you go to Daniel Marta Bebe. USC's medical staff has a history of these prolonged injuries that shouldn't happen, and so it makes you definitely wonder, Ryan. Okay, why, why do some of these injuries take much longer than it seems to heal than it seems that they should? You know, so it's a big question mark in my mind.
1: It is. So we'll uh, we'll watch that. I mean, like I said, it been been nice to add an extra running back to that group. So just one of those positions to watch, uh, not, a, not an area where you can afford long-term injuries cause there'll probably be enough short-term ones that that limit that group already. Um, should we move on to the tight ends?
2: tight ends now this is an interesting update uh at the tight end rundown that i made because i said additions daniel matabebe but then departures daniel matabebe so <laughs> usc thought they were getting daniel back and then he transferred so that was a, a no-go for usc but as far as the depth chart goes you have eric Romanhook, josh follow ethan ray and dude wolf so you have a mix of some senior senior talent and then some younger guys uh beneath them
1: with uh ethan ray uh He's going to be limited, right? With yes, still, yes, yeah,
2: yeah. He's so, still coming back from that ACL.
1: Yeah, so you know, there's some limitations there. I know one of the notes you put in is how are these tight ends going to be used uh, mm-hmm. in the offense? And we got to talk to Graham Harrell uh, a little bit today. Um, you know, Drake London, uh, could, you know, his role that some people said was like a tight end, and he talked about you know he could be a guy that puts his hand in the ground. He could block some guys if he had to. Um, you know, he could get in the way of of people and, and be kind of used in that role. But you know, it's it's going to be curious to see what they what, how they use these guys. There weren't a lot of catches from the tight end group uh, last year. Now that you've got year two in the system, you got a stable quarterback. You know, they lost their quarterback in the, the first game last year. Will the tight ends be utilized more? Will we see Josh Fowler making some big plays? Uh, Downfield, or you know, Eric Crominhope doing a little bit more than you know, doing a good job blocking, but that's you know, mainly what his role was. Um, I'm curious to see how these guys are utilized and if they will be utilized more than what we saw last year.
2: Yeah, I was really curious about that too, Ryan. And, and Harold kind of showed his hand a little bit today in today's press conference because the way he talked about Drake London, it was it was reminded me like the way he talked about Keen Slowus. Um, when the depth chart came out in fall camp last season, when it's like, okay, Keaton Slovis was named the number two quarterback and you have the offensive coordinator, just like such like, just saying like glowing things about a player. You know, that's what it reminded me of when he talked about Drake London, because, you know, in the second half of the season, they started using Drake London a lot. And it made you wonder, okay, are they doing that because they're really selling out and going four wide because of the running back injuries? What, like, is that, are they going to want to go back to a more traditional tight end role? Coming into this season. But uh, Graham Harrell said that he really wants Drake London to be a part of this offense. He is vital to their success. Um, he said that the line is being blurred between an inside receiver and a tight end. You know, they're kind of one of the same. And he referenced like the NFL with Travis Kelsey, you know, and so. It seems like Drake London is definitely going to be that inside receiver pseudo tight end type of role going forward and then when when Graham Harrell did mention the tight ends he mentioned Jude Wolf not Eric Cromhook Eric or uh, Josh Follow which I thought was interesting because Jude Wolf is kind of a combination of of the two you know he has that that body that he can block but he's also a, a passing threat a receiving threat um so it's just interesting I don't know what they're going to do with the tight end role going forward, but you can tell that Grim Harrell really likes uh, a Drake London and, and maybe he might have a, give the Titans a run for their money.
1: It could. I mean, I think the one thing that we're not going to know everything about this offense, obviously they just, everyone we've talked to just seem to be so enthusiastic about year two. It just, you know, and I think some of it is you're installing a new system. It was very successful despite injuries and changing quarterbacks and all that stuff. But they really seem to have a lot of confidence that having one year under your belt was going to make a big difference with the players. But I also think losing, you know, your, your starter with JT Daniels and that first, that just kind of threw everybody for a tailspin a bit. And it was great that Slovis came in and played as well as he did, but he got banged up too. And, you know, you get a huge boost getting Matt Fink to, to beat a team like Oregon. I mean, uh, Utah, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't take care of business against Washington. So that was a, a loss, but they just seem like so much more confident Keely that year two is going to be better. But I think a lot of it has to do with just knowing that who your quarterback is and how year one in a system and losing your quarterback in the very first game really threw this thing for a tailspin a little bit that they should be able, even if you lose a quarterback in this now quarterback depth, isn't good. We'll talk about that in a bit, but if something happened, you know, Unfortunately, happened something that Keaton Slovis. I feel like as a system, they'd feel better about it going forward because they've at least had a year in it. But the whole like year one, year two thing is something we've heard over and over again. They just seem to be real confident that they're going to be able to with you know handle issues, maybe depth issues, you know, injuries, things like that than they did last year.
2: Yeah, the confidence is definitely there and you can hear it from both players and coaches. And that's it's funny, Ryan. It's a good reminder that, you know, Keaton Slowis wasn't expecting to be the starter for all of the two thousand nineteen season. You know, he was a, a freshman to freshman out of Arizona, a high school team that did not play well. He played well, but the team did not. Um so, you know, I remember Graham Harrell talking to Graham Harrell after the Notre Dame game, and he was pointing out how even in different quarters of that game, Slovis was learning on the fly and he was learning to, okay, don't make that throw. And then cause Graham Harrell actually mentioned two of the, the same routes that he did throw on one and he didn't, and he should have thrown on the other, you know? So he, it's, if Keaton Slovis doesn't have to learn on the fly this season, I think USC is already going to be better than they were in 2019 as far as of on offense, you know, because you have, like you said, Ryan, a quarterback who now has experience under his belt, understands the system much better, and has chemistry with these wide receivers. So it'll be really interesting to see for sure.
1: It certainly will. And uh, you mentioned the receivers. Should we move on and talk about it unless you had anything else on the tight ends you want nope, to
2: say not really let's go for it so as far as departures obviously michael Pittman left for the nfl and then i added two that were actually on the roster as of 2019 which were devin williams and valus jones uh, both of them transferred uh, and then as far as additions you have the four star five eleven uh, Gary Bryant Jr., and then the three-star, six-one uh, Josh Jackson. And then the rest of the depth chart, Tyler Vons, almond Ross St. Brown, Drake London, Brew McCoy, uh, John Jackson the third, Gary Bryant Jr., who I already said, Josh Jackson, who I already said. And then you have Maneer McLean, but he is suspended as of now, and he's also rehabbing back from that uh, ACL injury. And then Kyle Ford, unfortunately, tore his other ACL over the off season, so he will be out for the season. So like you mentioned, Ryan, the, je- the depth chart is not, Dangerously uh, low, but it's it's there. Where if there are a couple injuries, you might be questioning, okay, how how good is this depth chart going to be or last for seven games? You know,
1: you feel good about the play. You look at the names, you're like, oh yeah, stud, stud. Oh he's good. Oh yeah, they're good. But there's not that many. And I remember we we talked to Graham Harrell in year one. What was the number he threw out there for the number of wide receivers he wanted? Like it was in the it was definitely double digits. You know, it was like a dozen or something, you know, like he wanted a lot of wide Mm -hmm. receivers. And then we didn't really see that kind of rotation last year. So for last year's rotation, this is probably fine, but you can't really afford to get, you know, any more guys injured already because it's, you know, the guys at the top, you like them, but if anyone goes down, you know, there's just not going to be that many guys that kind of roll in and, and, and transfer, you know, and, and be able to come in and out of the game. It's just, that's, that's what we thought we'd see last year, and we didn't. It was really more of a secure, these four or five guys, whatever, played, and that was about it.
2: Yeah, it was funny because Graham Harrell said, you know, I, I, it's based on the receivers getting tired, and he was like, I thought they would get much more tired, much easier, much more easier, but the guys didn't want to come out of the game. So that's why at least Harrell was saying why well, you weren't seeing a rotation, at least at the beginning of the season. But obviously you, you secured your starters there. But yeah, it – I don't expect them to rotate as much either. I think you're just going to see those guys, but it's a, it's, it reminds me of the running backs. It's a talented group. You just have to make sure that they stay healthy because obviously you have an Alman Ross, St. Brown out there, brew McCoy. That's the one who Graham Harrell talked about today, who uh, will be uh, needed for the success of USC's offense, just because he's such a heart. He's such a, Nightmare matchup, I think, is what Graham Harrell said. So uh, a lot of talented guys. I think wide receivers at USC, you don't really have to worry about ever. <laughs> They're just a talented group, and and they do the job well.
1: Yeah, they do. The USC always got stud receivers, but um, you know what? Where are we going to see Alonzo Brown? He's going to be outside more. Is uh, you know, like yeah. we talk about Drake London. You know, where does Brew McCoy play? Mm-hmm. And you know, you want to see guys like Gary Bryant Jr. or Josh Jackson. You know new newcomers that will potentially, you know, they could do, they could do some things uh, for you out on the field. Um, you know, John Jackson, the uh, third, I think he's developed, you know, pretty well. Does Meneer McLean come back? Cause he showed some, some bright signs. Man, It just bums me out. Cause I really wanted to see Kyle Ford yeah. uh, go out there. He came on our tunnel vision show uh, over the the pandemic and, and talked about the injury and stuff. And, uh, it's just, he's such a great kid and you just hate to see him, but you know, you get those two guys, you feel a lot better yeah. you know, without Cal Ford, you know, maybe McLean comes back at some point. We don't know when you feel a little bit better, but you know, as you're standing, you know, what do you got? Eight guys there. Um, you know, that's, you could play four at a time. Like that's you know, you got a two deep potentially and that's about it.
2: Yeah. And that's something we saw last season too, uh, at least, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, right? It's going to be interesting just because where does Raw St. Brown go? I know that I think Gerard was saying that there was talk that Ra wanted to prove that he could play outside as well. Does that mean Gary Bryant Jr. automatically goes into the slot? You know, this is something where you really just want to see practice and see, because the thing that USC always touts is, oh, well, our wide receivers can play anywhere. It doesn't matter. You're not just solely a slot receiver, et cetera. So you want to see practice and see how they're moving guys around and, and how they've come along. So, um, It'll be interesting to see.
1: It definitely, uh, it definitely will. But you still have to say, as far as position groups go, is this the strength of the entire team? I mean, it's it would be one of them, right?
2: Oh, without a doubt. Like I said, USC and their wide receivers. I don't think that's that's anything you need to worry about. That's definitely. I mean, Clay Hilton said, and and you know, always a grain of salt with what Clay Hilton says. But he said that Almanac Saint Brown looks just. Uh, as great as he's seen him since he's been, you know, recruiting him. And he is just, there's a sense of urgency for greatness, he said with Ra St. Brown. And you can kind of see it in the clips we've seen as far as uh, practice footage. And you just expect Almanra to just be a college professional, if that makes sense. He always comes to, out to work. And then Tyler Vaughn's, you know, this is his last shot. Do we see him kind of go to the next level? Or have we seen all that we know of for Tyler Vaughn's? You know, Brew McCoy, that's a guy who finally he was going to have spring camp a full like type of camp practice to get under his belt and then the pandemic hit and then you have this long off season he's finally getting back to the field what do we see from him i think gavin morris put like a one-handed catch that brew had on uh on his instagram Instagram. Yeah. yeah that was crazy so just it's just a, such a talented group. And Drake London, you know, he finally came on at the second half of the the season. What does he look like now with a year under his belt? Uh, how much has he progressed? So there's a lot of open questions, but nothing concerning, if you will. You know, like the offensive line, you're like, okay, what, what's that going to look like? Whereas the wide receivers is just like, okay, we know that they're, they're good to a certain extent, but how good can they be?
1: We had a question on Tunnel Vision about like Tyler Vaughn setting the USC records. And uh, I didn't really look closely, but I think Shotgun pointed out that if it was a full season, he would have had a shot like to have a, a good year and and break a bunch of the records. But it's going to be tough with only seven games. But he could come back one more year, right? I mean, there's no yeah. this year doesn't count, so he could true. he could break all the records by coming back in 2021.
2: <laughs> wow, that's true. He could like cheat the system in that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. So get a, get some more catches out there. But he's my boy, so hopefully we see him uh, do some good things. Um, this won't take long. Quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> <Quarterbacks>. <laughs>
2: uh, so you have your departures, obviously, JT Daniels transferred to Georgia, still hasn't played at Georgia, which is interesting. And then uh, obviously, Jack Sears uh, transferred at the start of 2019. Uh, USC did get an addition in a grad transfer walk-on in Mo Hassan. He's 6'3", 205. He's a transfer from Vanderbilt uh, with one left. Uh, He did see action, some action in six games and he had one start in 2019 which was a 21-14 upset over Missouri. Uh, So he has some experience experience, and on the practice footage he looked like a legitimate quarterback. He didn't look like he was this like wavy guy who's never really played it down in his life. So at least you have someone there and the reason I'm saying that is because the depth chart for quarterbacks is very thin. It's Keaton Slovis and then Matt Fink. That's all you have. And just knowing how much the quarterback came out of the game five times in two thousand nineteen, that's something that USC obviously needs to fix in twenty twenty. You don't want to put your quarterback in, in that much harm's way. So obviously if you're a USC fan, you're you're crossing your, your fingers and toes that your quarterback stays safe because uh, you have Keenan Slovis, you have Matt Fink. If it comes down to Mohassan, I think it's you're in you're in scary times.
1: Yeah, five times quarterback coming out of the game. You only got three. That's, uh, you better hope that they're coming out briefly, uh, <laughs> yeah. and not, for, not for a long period of time. But if you have to have a walk-on that has a, an SEC start and win under his belt, eh, you know, at least there's something. You got something there. I mean, we looked at, uh, you know, Drew Richmond last year. Now, he started over a three-year period. People you talked to at Tennessee didn't really like his game for whatever reason, whatever. But, you know, he was a big help for USC last year. They needed someone that had some experience. He ended up starting at right tackle and and playing pretty well there. So uh, if it comes down to that, at least, you know, you got somebody that's, that's been out there before and seen action. So, um, you know, Matt Fink's going to have some confidence. He got the, you know, the win against Utah last year that, I mean, so you got something, but Keaton Slovis is your guy. It's only seven games. You got to hope that he stays healthy the entire time. If he does, he can put up some pretty big numbers for that seven game stretch. If not, yeah, it's that's going to be uh, if you got to go to Matt Fink or Moha I mean, it's just going to be rough. But it's it's only seven games. So you, you just got to figure out, figure out a way to keep those guys healthy.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think um, something worth noting is I think this offseason was helpful for Keenan Slovis just because if you remember that first uh, March and first and only spring practice in March, Keenan Slovis had only gotten cleared a, a week beforehand, before that first spring practice. And even then, he said they're really going to have to like put a pitch count on his arm and make sure that he's not overworking it. So, who knows what it would have happened if uh, Keaton had to put some miles on his arm over spring, would that exacerbated the injury he had uh, in the Holiday Bowl? Who knows? But Keaton Slovis said he's 100% right now. He's glad he had the time off, and he's really uh, now he has a dedicated icing routine and, and making sure that he takes care of his arm so um, I think in the long run it was probably a good thing that Keenan had as much time as he did to rest his arm and not have that injury especially given how USC and their injury luck hasn't been uh, too great lately
1: that's true uh, all right anything else on the preview or should we uh, move on
2: I don't think so I mean just you know we're, we're looking at the starting five. Who's going to be that offensive line? Uh, what's it going to look like? Obviously, keeping your quarterbacks healthy, keeping your running backs healthy. Uh, how are they going to use the tight ends? How are they going to utilize them? And and year two for Graham Harrell, what does that look like? And is it does it live up to the hype that they're giving it? You know.
1: Yeah, we it's, it's definitely going to be what you want to watch. And if USC has a lot of success, it's going to be because they're putting up a bunch of points, I would guess, uh, with this offense. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, do some questions.
0: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
1: all right we're back here on the peristyle podcast we got some questions keely to to go through hopefully everyone enjoyed that preview uh of the offense we'll try to do the defense next week and some special teams after that but uh where do you want to go with the questions
2: Let's start off with an email from Tito. He says, "Hello, Parastyle Podcast. It has been a while since I've written in. I've been hun- hiding under a rock since 2020 uh, football was in limbo. Anyways, thanks for all you have done during these crazy times. My question: With USC and the Pac-12 not having any fans for games, do you think they will have an ability for fans to purchase cutouts? An interesting question.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's a an interesting, uh, question from from Tito. It's well, first of all, thank you for, you know, I know maybe you haven't written in for a while. Thank you for doing that. And you're not alone hiding, under <laughs> hiding under a rock, um, the fan issue. And I talked to Dr. Bartner today. There's also a petition going around for parents of Pac-12 football players that they want to go, uh, and, and be at games, um, The fan issue, I think, is a it's a big deal for fans, but I don't think the administration and I don't think the Pac-12 was able to put dedicated towards it because all the focus was on trying to get games played. We're seeing across the country that fans are going out there. I think Florida was pushing to have, uh, you know, the stadium full this coming weekend yeah. and they just shut down their team activities because they had too yeah. many positive tests. So they had a whole bunch of people at the Texas a and game. So I think the PAC 12 and, you know, hard to argue there was really just trying to focus on how do we have games? So a lot of this other stuff that'd be kind of the cool aspects of it were sort of put on the back burner. Could the Charger marching band be out there and, and play, I think they could. I mean, they could, you know, spaced out in the the, the crowd. Um, I don't think there would be any kind of issue with that. Could parents, uh, friends be out there at USC games in the Coliseum? Sure. I think what the Pac-12 did, they had to have this broad stroke of everybody on the same page. Nobody there. And I think they just had to do that to appease, you know, Oregon's government and California's government and things like that. Uh, you know, the Rams... And and the chargers don't have people there too. So I think in in an effort for, like if you're a place like Utah, you could definitely have, you could probably have fans there, but the PAC 12, they wanted to do, it wanted to be more about unity. So long kind of ramble to get to purchase the cutouts. I just don't think that was something that was talked about a lot because they were really just focused on trying to get on the field. I think that'd be something like that would be cool Um, I just think there were so many other problems. I'm not sure they could turn around and do it that quickly. I I haven't talked to anyone about this specifically. Everything I talked about, it was just more about trying to get the season going. I don't know if you've heard anything, Keely, but it'd be interesting. I think it'd be great to have that. It'd be a great, you know, good way to to earn some extra money for the athletic department, but there's just was so much focus on just having a season. I, I don't think this was something that was, you know, forefront in their thought.
2: Yeah, there was a lot going on for them to even (laughs) get to this point. So I don't think they've, they probably have thought about cutouts. I don't know if they're going to do it. It is a good source of revenue, you know, and and given how much uh, they're strained right now. And I I was hearing that too, where, of course, there are schools in the conference that could have fans if they wanted to. And if you remember in the first uh, the, the modified schedule, the second schedule that the Pac-12 came out with, they said it would be up to each school as to whether or not they would have fans. But now in this reboot, the, the 3.0 schedule that the, the Pac-12 released, they just really wanted to focus on Unity. And they just said, you know, no, no fans across the board, just because, you know, Oregon and California are struggling on that front. So long story short, yes, uh, no fans, Unity, and not sure about cutouts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll ask around Tito we'll see what we can uh, find out, but haven't, uh, haven't heard anything about something like that, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, we do know like the, you know, the parents want to come out. Um, you know, I, I do the art cast with Dr. Bartner and they, they were told it's just a Pac-12 decision that the band couldn't be out there. So, um, it's, it's bad, you know, the 33 straight years of every game that Georgia marching band has been to. So that streak's going to come to an end.
2: Wow. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, the pandemic, it kind of is a good excuse, I would think.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: So we have an email from uh, our buddy Dan, class of 1962, but he has a different name for this email or for this question, and you'll see why. He says, Hi, Keely and Ryan. I'm going to be Danny Downer for this comment and question. In my estimation, the Pac-12 under Larry Scott will never be in the college football playoffs without an undefeated Oregon or USC. The playoffs have become a Big Ten, Clemson, and SEC regional championship. If USC, Oregon, Washington, and possibly ASU want to be in the playoffs, they will need to either go independent or join one of the three conferences above. Pac-12 after dark, Friday night games, 9 a.m. games are all indicators of the irrelevance of the Pac-12 as a national power. We saw what happened to USC with the Reggie Bush debacle uh, when USC fielded championship teams, and the Larry Scott Pac-12 did not support their flagship school, and their their irrelevance followed. If USC rose to the top again, Larry Scott would not support them in his quest for parity to keep his position. Position with support from the lesser schools. If USC ever wants to be a national champion, they need to leave the Pac 12. Your thoughts? Danny Downer, class of 1962.
1: Hey, Danny Downer. Uh, now, I don't agree with you there. Um, first of all, you don't have to worry about Larry Scott too much longer. So he'll be gone. So that's a good thing. Uh, really, if you want to talk about the Pac 12 making the college football playoff, there's been a lot of self inflicted wounds um, to, for that. And you know, going with a nine conference game schedule has certainly hurt the Pac-12 when the SEC and the ACC don't do that. And, you know, the team's not being very good. You know, USC not being very good doesn't help the Pac-12. Um, you know USC's a flagship station. They need to play better. If USC is good, though, they're going to get consideration. And they're, that's just the brand that USC has. It doesn't matter if they're in the Pac-12 or not. But the Pac-12 has done things to hurt itself. Um, you know, losing big out-of-conference games to start the season, you know, uh, you know Washington and Oregon. And when they were on, you know, close to the top or on top, going out and losing the, the neutral site games to Auburn or USC going out and losing, you know, getting smoked by Alabama. Uh, all those things contribute. But I don't think you have to leave the Pac-12 to make the playoff. We've seen Washington make it. We've seen Oregon make it. I think you still can't. USC, if it was any good, USC would still make the playoff. Uh, like a one-loss USC, I think would be would would have a really good shot of being in, mostly because they are they probably have a win over Notre Dame and some other good out of conference team. But the if you're going to be serious and try to make it as a conference each and every week, you need a more even playing field. And the eight conference game schedule versus nine to me is a really big deal. Um, it's just not something that uh, you know you can overcome. And if you don't have a Clemson, there's no like elite team like that and not having a Clemson, uh, in your, in your ranks. uh, I think that, you know, I think that matters. So yeah, to me, it's not like something that you need to leave the PAC 12 to, um, you know, to, uh, to make the college football playoff. But so I, I talked to Dave Bartu, who's, uh, he, he runs the uh, college football matrix and a lot of analytics and stuff. Um, you know, he says, you know, if, for as far as that goes, uh, the numbers are stacked against a 12-team conference with nine conference games. Uh, you know, very minimum. He said if the playoff stage at four, the Pac-12 would have to go to eight conference games, and, and to up the number, it's just tough when you have 12 teams and also nine conference games. Uh, the SEC has 14 teams and eight conference games you're not getting Alabama and Georgia to play all that often. They play this year. They're playing this weekend, which is great. Um, But, you know, USC and Oregon or Washington, like they're playing all the time. They're playing a lot. You know, you're only missing two games a year. Uh, And in the, the SEC, by only playing eight conference games, you have teams that go two and eight in conference. I'm sorry, two and six in conference, but still make a bowl game. And then Alabama has, oh, we have nine bowl teams on our schedule. Uh, well, yeah, one of them's, you know, Arkansas, who's six and six and one, they beat like Vanderbilt and uh, Ole Miss or something. And that's it. Um, so it 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 allows you to kind of inflate, um, you know, your rankings by having a lot more teams that are making bowl games. Uh, they get more teams ranked. To me, it's just it's the system is uh, not set up well for the way the Pac- Pac-12 is. The Pac-12 wants non-conference games to kind of appease the schools in uh, you know, the northern part of the conference so they get more trips to California. If you really are serious about making the playoff, you just got to get rid of stuff like that and, and only do eight games. So uh, that's just my opinion. I don't think you need to leave, long answer, you don't need to leave the Pac-12 to make the playoff.
2: Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it better, right? <laughs> I The thing is, it's like USC hasn't played up to the level where they're even in the conversation for the college football playoffs, so I don't think that you can say, "Oh, USC should leave" when we don't have any evidence that they've done everything, quote unquote, right, and still don't, don't get in. You know, so I think you have to wait till USC gets better to even uh, try and try that argument. You know,
1: yeah. I got a lot of. Uh, we did a talk about the podcast of champions. My co-host David Woods doesn't think it should be expanded. I really thought just expand for this year would have been fun because um, it's 2020. You know, just just expand, and uh, but a bunch of the, our regulars. Don't like it. A lot of them are Pacific Northwest people and they're saying, well, the, you know, the PAC 12 will get in when they deserve it. And it's just, you know, it's just, it, it, to me, it was just more of a loser mentality. You want to be able to compete and you want to be able to get a chance to win. You can win if you make, if you're in the tournament at all, you know, five major conferences and four bids, like that's just not, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I'd rather see an expanded playoff six, eight games, something like that. Um, but as of now, the way it stands, the Pac-12 could make some changes to give itself a better chance of making the playoff. But the main thing, obviously, is having your good teams be really good. And you're not going to have a great opportunity this year with only seven games. That's just the way it is. But in, in general, going forward, I'd rather see it go to an eight conference game schedule, and then you'd have a, you'd be on a much even, even, much more even playing field.
2: Yeah, I agree. What was the argument that the the POC said no? Why they say
1: no? There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. It would like devalue the Rose Bowl. It, you know, um, you just go get, you know, instead of going, like say Oregon, you know, they don't go to the Rose Bowl like last year and, and beat Wisconsin, but they go to, you know, the Fiesta Bowl or something and they get smoked by Alabama. Like, would you rather, you know, you'd rather have that Rose Bowl tradition and that, you know, the Pac-12 schools haven't got screwed. They'll, you know, they'll get in when they deserve. And I, you know, I think the problem is, missing four of the last five years, there's a perception issue that you could easily get a team that's, you know, in the mix, uh, get left out. And people would argue like Utah could have made it last year. Um, you know, but they end up, uh, you know, getting beat by Oregon they, they lost the USC with, you know, backup quarterback in there. Uh, yeah, I, I think Utah would have been left out at the end of the day if they beat Oregon, which they didn't, they got boat raced. Uh, and then they lost the Texas in the, in the bowl game too. But, I don't think Utah would have made it in, and that would have been a pretty good example of there's a one loss Pac-12 team, you know, but they lose to like a mediocre USC team that had their third string quarterback in. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think there would have been an argument against Utah, and they, they're saying, "Oh, they would have made it in." I'm like, I don't think Utah would have. Like, they don't have the cachet. Maybe USC in that position would have, but I don't think like a Utah would, and maybe not even an Oregon. So, I think the the Pac-12 missing. Four of the last five playoffs would contribute to that. That's why I think you need to change the system.
2: Yeah. No, that makes sense for sure, Ryan. Uh, you you covered it all, so are, are you good with moving on I'm to good. the last yeah, question? <laughs> okay, so our final question comes from John Embrea, who says, For Ryan and Keeley, hi all. An interesting fact, if the Pact 12 continues with the future schedules as written. By the time USC travels to Oregon in 2023, it will have been eight years since the Trojans last played in Eugene, and 2023 will be eight years since Washington the Washington Huskies last played in the Coliseum which of the series drop games will you miss more home versus Notre Dame tradition? And they still haven't tackled Marquis Steph. neutral versus Alabama measuring stick and Steve Sarkisian's revenge game or at Oregon quote unquote, taking back the West recruiting showdown. Thanks and fight on John and Brea.
1: Ooh, good question. Yeah. I and mean, that's a good question. yeah. What? So I guess, I mean, it depends what perspective you're coming at this from, like personally, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think I'd pick Oregon personally because I wanted to go. I wanted to go up there and and see if USC could bounce back from the trouncing they took uh, in the Coliseum. Um, but I mean, as far as importance for USC, might just be Notre Dame because of the tradition and everything, and that's a home game. Like that's. I, I don't think Alabama was super winnable. I don't think at Oregon would have been super winnable, but Notre Dame at home I think could have been. You know. So I think if you're USC, that's the one you probably miss the most. It uh, could be a, kind of a measuring stickish kind of game, but personally, I think I'll, I'll go with the, the Eugene game at Oregon. What about you?
2: Yeah, I think I think I would say at Oregon too. I think I think Eugene is pretty, and I just it would be interesting to go back and cover that game. I think for USC, if we're talking about USC, who wants to be in the college football playoff conversation? Probably Alabama. Because that's going to be your biggest measuring stick, more so than Notre Dame. Um, but for tradition-wise, I could see Notre Dame. I'm very indecisive, Ryan, so this is not a great question for me. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to go Oregon for USC-Alabama.
1: All right. I mean, I just – for me, I mean, I think it makes sense, obviously, because Alabama, and they look really good this year. But seeing how Alabama looks this year – Makes me think it wouldn't have been a good game,
2: yeah. No, no. it wouldn't be a good game for USC, but this is going like hypothetically if they're trying to be what they say they want to be,
1: right? And and you know, we have a lot of the USC fan base that is really upset that these games aren't happening, mostly because they want the team to be you know, they, they want that measuring stick out there, they want they want to be compared to the best in the country. And they can make their case for why they want a different coach or whatever it is. Uh, the, the, the meat of the schedule has basically been surgically removed. And so you're not going to be comparing <laughs> yourself to the best, uh, in, you know, in the country and USC had a great opportunity. I mean, not playing Alabama, Notre Dame, Oregon on the road, you know, Washington at home and, and Cal, like those are five. You, you could argue five of the toughest games, you know, five of the six toughest games that were on the schedule are gone. Uh, so, yeah, the, all of them, I think, would have been important. I think if you want a realistic chance to win, it would probably have been Notre Dame at home. But the biggest measuring stick would easily be Alabama. I just – watching Alabama so far this year, it's just like, woof, I don't, I don't think that would have went well. But they don't have a great defense. They've given up a lot of points. Um, USC could probably score a bunch of points on them. But would USC be able to stop them? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, for all the people who say that Clay Helton should not be the head coach anymore, the first iteration of the 2020 schedule was the biggest test for this new administration, athletic department administration, to see, hey, is Clay Helton your guy? And now, in Schedule 3.0, it's a much more manageable schedule that might not be the right test for Clay Helton to see if he's the head coach. Obviously, fans already have their mind made up, but for Carol Fult, for Mike Bone and company, you know, this is going to be their first full season, not even full season anymore under their watch where it's, it's a much different picture of, of what this team has to face than what they originally had to face. And so do you have another year at Clay Helton because uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're not going to fire a coach who has a, uh, probably takes care of an easy schedule. You know, it's, it's interesting how much it has evolved for Clay Helton over the last uh, six or seven months.
1: Yeah. And you know, I would, for the USC fans that were almost like hoping for, or are hoping for like losses and and just so they want to change the coach. I, I just don't think a coaching change is happening this year. No matter what happens, just root for the team to win. Um, I think everyone knows this isn't like the big measuring stick year. It's not a hard schedule. USC should easily be at least five and one through the first six games, if not six and oh. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I I know you're trying to prove a point or whatever. I would just, you know, I, I just don't think, with the pandemic, with the financial restrictions and knowing what we know about the, the contract that he signed from the previous administration. I don't, I don't think there's a lot you can really do. There's room for this team to win. Just go out there and win. No one's going to say, Oh, USC went six and 0 they're amazing now. Like I, you know, this is not a hard schedule. Like this is not a team that should be, should be flirting with a losing record or a 500 record. Like this really should be at worst a five and one team, just, you know, looking at the roster, I'm going to put up a story later today on the talent composite. USC still has, according to 24/7 Sports, the most talent in the Pac-12. You're playing the bottom. You know who's the who the least talented teams in the Pac-12 outside of like ASU and maybe you know Utah. That's who you're playing. Um, you should win all those games. So yeah, yeah. I, there's there shouldn't be any excuse of why you're not. But I don't think rooting for them to lose is going to be very helpful because I don't think there's much you can do anyway. It'd just be more depressing.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And 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 the thing is, is I get the sense from this new athletic department that they are much more aware. They get the nuance that hey, this is an easier schedule, so maybe don't sign Clay Helton to an extension if he goes six and zero. You know, I don't think you're gonna have like a a Lynn Swan situation in that sense. So I don't think you have to like actively root for this team to lose in order for this administration to get a certain message. You know, I think that they are much more they are much better at evaluating things than previous athletic administrations.
1: Yeah. They're not going to say, Whoa, you really had a good game against Colorado and yeah. Arizona on the road. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the way we want to go. Like, no, like that's, that's not what this administration is going to do, yeah. but there's also things they can't do. And I know fans get upset about that, but there's, you know, there's been decisions made before they got there that have been very limiting. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes, I guess, but mm-hmm. yep. all right. Well, I think that's all we got.
2: Yep. That's it for now.
1: Um, good stuff. We kind of went long on this, but we had to do our offensive preview. preview so we'll try yep. to do. Yeah. Next week, we'll do our defensive preview. And the week after that special teams, and then we'll be rolling the season, I think. Right. Like that's, is that the timing? I
2: believe so. We might have a week in between, but we'll have to, well, we'll have previews and we'll probably get a depth chart at that point. So we'll always have stuff to cover. So we're, we're getting there, Ryan. We're close.
1: <laughs> we're closing in on the college football season. You get to watch. There's a big one though. Uh, Alabama, Georgia this weekend. I'm excited. Uh, are you watch are you watching much college football or not really?
2: I am. But I'm not, I think this past weekend I missed a couple games, but then the weekend before I watched like from dust till dawn or dawn to dust. So uh, yeah, so I am, but I'm also watching way more NFL this year than I ever have, just because usually I'm working on Sundays. I'm like posting highlights and doing all those things. So it's nice to actually kind of watch the NFL this year, which is random. Yeah,
1: yeah I've been watching more of that. Um, yeah, th- I didn't get to watch much this past weekend. This guy was out uh, doing a, a, a big hike, but. I'm trying to, you know, if I'm around, I'm trying to watch more of the yeah. games and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. But that, like I said, a couple weeks or a week and a half from now, when the Big Ten starts, it's going to be tougher, you know, to yeah. see the Big Ten out there playing and the Pac-12 still be two weeks away. is like, it's going to be, yeah, that's going to be a tough one to, to stomach.
2: We're going to get antsy. We're going to get really antsy pretty soon here. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, well, let's wrap things up then. Thanks, Keeley, for the great work on the uh, preview rundown sheet that we went over. Thank and you, thanks thank to everyone you. for listening. Yeah, and uh, thanks to Dan Weber. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to miss him. And thanks for all the the nice things everyone you got out there has said about uh, Dan over the years. And stay tuned. We'll try to get him on here at some point. Uh, we'll see when that can happen. But we'd love to uh, talk to Dan again about USC football. It's always fun. So that's Keeley. I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to
0: have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.